Hi, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ. Got another exciting lesson for you here as we spend about a half hour with some of our favorite Bible characters. This lesson is about Joseph. What would Joseph tell us? If he had 20 or 30 minutes to spend with us and tell us how to live our lives in service to God. Open up your Bibles and let's find out what Joseph would say. I am certain that at least some of us would want to spend a little bit of time with Joseph. What an amazing character Joseph was. What great lessons we can learn from Joseph's life. And if Joseph was able to spend just 20 to 30 minutes with us, what kind of things would Joseph say to us? if we got to spend that half hour with him. I'd like for us to take a look at his life tonight and just notice some of the great lessons that we can learn. Obviously, not all of them, because there's, there's a whole bunch that we can learn from Joseph, but I think some of the most important ones that would help us in our lives as we try to emulate those Bible characters and their faith and their service to God. If we could just spend 20 to 30 minutes with him, what would he say? Before we look at that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Father in heaven, we are humbled in your presence. And we thank you so much because you've allowed us to come here again tonight to worship and honor you. You've given us safe trips here in our cars. And you've given us safety here while we're worshiping. And we pray that you would continue to be with us. And Father, we pray that everything we do here tonight is in accord with your word and your will. And that we are honoring and glorifying you. Help us not to seek the glory for ourselves, but to give it to you, Father. We pray that you would help us as we take a look at your servants that we read about in Scripture that we can strive to be like them and to look to that cloud of witnesses that you have set before us, that we may gain hope and strength and comfort from them. Be with us tonight as we study your Word and help us to take what we learn here with us into our lives tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 37, the story of Joseph essentially begins and I think there we begin to see one of the very first lessons that we would learn from the life of Joseph, and that is probably the greatest lesson. We choose how we react to our circumstances, or perhaps I ought to say we are able to choose how we react to our circumstances. How many folks today, if they talk about the way they act and the way they behave, blame it on their upbringing, or they blame it on what somebody else has done, or they blame it on the weather? And yet, when we take a look at Joseph's life and we read these chapters that tell us all that happened to Joseph and how he responded, we learn from him that we have a free will, that we have the ability to choose how we are going to act. In Genesis chapter 37 and verse 4, it talks about his brothers. And they saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. And so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. And of course, the dream that he had and told them about didn't help matters. It just continued their hate and caused them to mistreat, them, mistreat him until eventually, there in Genesis chapter 37 and about verse 28, Joseph had come to them while they were out shepherding, and they had taken him captive, essentially. And then in Genesis 37, 28, some Midianite traders passed by. So they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph down into Egypt. A little interlude in chapter 38 about Judah and Tamar and what happened there. But we get back to Joseph's story in Genesis chapter 39. And we find in chapter 39 and verse 1 that Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him from the, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And so Joseph goes into slavery in Egypt, far away from his family. He's the only one that's there that's, that's a Hebrew that has this devotion to the one true God. 
And there, despite what's happened to him, he serves God and God blesses him. But we know the story about Potiphar's wife and how she tried to seduce him. And day after day, and finally he was framed when he would not commit immorality with her. And in verse 19 of Genesis 39, Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in jail. This is the story of Joseph's life, just over and over again. So many bad things happening. His family mistreats him. His master, when he becomes a slave, despite how good things are, ends up mistreating him. And then, of course, he's now put in prison. And I imagine that as far as prisoners go, things were, you know, he was treated okay, but, but he's a prisoner. How good can that be? Even if he's set up high among the prisoners. And when I think about Joseph's life, I can think, well, I might even, after being sold into slavery, possibly one time decide, well, even though bad things have happened, I'm going to go ahead and serve God. But when making that decision and deciding to go ahead and serve God, then turns around and slaps me in the face and I get framed for a crime that I didn't commit and thrown into jail. And then to continue serving God, that is just absolutely amazing. How many of us would have said that, well, it's just not our fault. Look at how bad things are and all these bad things that keep happening. And look at how everybody else is treating me. And look at all these things that are going on in my life, the circumstances, the situations, and all these things. I mean, have you ever talked to anybody that just everything they said, you give them answers about how they ought to go ahead and keep serving God, but they come back with why they shouldn't because of what everybody else is doing. You ever talk to anybody like that? I mean, it's certainly tough in our lives today at times to continue on serving God because of the way our spouse is acting or the way our boss is acting or the way our kids are acting. Yet we must continue faithfully. And Joseph here stands out as this great example. And what he teaches us from his life as we read these narratives is that it doesn't matter what happens to us. What matters is how we respond to what happens to us. And we are free to choose. We are able to decide how we're going to live. And despite how the deck seems to be stacked against us, we can choose to serve God. And that is exactly what Joseph did. And I believe that if Joseph had a few minutes to spend with us, that would be the very first lesson he would teach us. Choose to serve God, no matter what's going on, because you can. And you you need to make that choice at every moment. Perhaps the second lesson that Joseph would talk to us about, another great occurrence in his life, probably the most famous as far as we're concerned, he would teach us to flee immorality. Again, we go back to that story of what happened in Potiphar's house. And in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 7, it says that it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he's put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he didn't listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. And she called him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, and of course, we see her frame him for something he didn't do. But what I want us to notice is his response. 
She had been trying to seduce him. This wasn't just a one-time event. This, he didn't just come in one day and try to ask this. She had been doing this day after day after day. And in the course of his work, he goes into the house. And lo and behold, this time, there's, there's no men in the house. And she finds him there. And she tries one more time and grabs his, his outer garment. And he doesn't sit there and think about it. He doesn't argue with himself the pros and the cons. And he doesn't have to sit there and and consider maybe, possibly, and then talk himself out of it. He just immediately turns and runs. So quickly is he fleeing immorality that he leaves even his outer garment there in her hand. Joseph would tell us, flee immorality. And his reason for doing this, he says, how can I commit this sin against my God? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, Paul said, flee immorality. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, as he was talking to Timothy, this preacher that he had brought up to be teaching the gospel, he says, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. When we look at Joseph, we see a mind determined not to commit immorality. He's not struggling because he has made that decision already and it's just not going to happen. And one of the things I think about as as far as Christians go, there aren't any Christians that I'm aware of that just wake up one day and say, you know what? I think I want to commit immorality today. None of us would do that. But sometimes we'll court with it in our minds. While we're absolutely convinced that, oh no, I'm a Christian, I would never actually commit immorality. Some of us guys see those ladies and we think, well... I mean, I never would, but I wonder what it would be like. And some of those women see those men, and of course, on a completely different level, they think about how romantic that guy would be instead of the guy they have to go home to at night. And they start fantasizing and thinking about, well, you know, boy, it would kind of be nice if I had somebody like that. And what's going on in their mind is instead of fleeing immorality, the path to immorality's door is starting to be forged. And then you have those times where, oh, it just seems so harmless and it's just at work and everybody saw us, but we were just flirting around a little bit. We're not ever going to do anything. It's just a joke. But that's not fleeing immorality. That's walking the path that leads to immorality. If you don't believe me, talk to those who have committed immorality. Despite the fact that they knew they never would. They knew it would never get that far. What Joseph would tell us is flee immorality. Don't even allow the thought to get into your mind. Pursue righteousness, faith, peace, and love with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Pursue those things. Allow those things to enter into your heart and your mind and to govern what you do. And if there is ever that day when the chance light came up with Joseph, just out of the blue, here it comes, you're prepared and ready to slam that door shut and run and flee immorality. But Joseph would say, be on your guard. Flee immorality. He would go on to tell us about the God that we serve. The God that he couldn't sin against. One of the reasons why he had such a devotion to this God is because he understood 
God keeps His promises. This is, this is actually kind of a subtle lesson, but again, I think it's one of the great lessons of Joseph's life. At the very end of the book of Genesis, as far as Genesis is concerned, it almost looks just like this, this kind of throwaway comment at the end, just kind of wrapping things up at the end of the story. And we might be tempted to overlook it, but it really is one of the strong and great lessons of Joseph. And, and let's just understand exactly why he was so devoted to God. There at the end of Genesis in chapter 50 in verse 24, he said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which He promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you and you shall carry my bones up from here. Now just reading it there, we may not realize what an amazing statement that really is, but the Hebrew writer understood how powerful it was. And in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 22, as he talked about those who had great faith, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 22, he put Joseph on that list, not because of all those other things, but because of this request. And in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 22, he says, By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. He said it was by faith. How is this statement a statement by faith? What the Hebrew writer is pointing out is that Joseph was not just saying, hey, if you guys ever get to leave Egypt, please take my bones with you. He wasn't saying if, he was saying when. And he was able to say when because he said God promised Abraham. You notice that in verse 24. He promised an oath to Abraham. When we look in Genesis chapter 15, in Genesis chapter 15, God had promised Abraham that this would happen. In Genesis 15, beginning at verse 13, God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they'll serve, and after they'll come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they'll return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. God had told Abram this was going to happen. He had said, they're going to go into another land. So Joseph wasn't surprised, but he also knew that one day they were going to be leaving. And so unlike Jacob, Jacob when he died, they went ahead and took him to the cave of Machpelah immediately, and they mourned him several days, and they came back to Egypt. But Joseph, instead of saying, hey, let's make that trip now, he said, hey, you're going there sometime anyway. Just promise me when you go, take my bones. And that's exactly what happened as you get into Exodus. Exodus chapter 13. After the Passover, it all had occurred and, and they were leaving. In Exodus chapter 13 and verse 19, it says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you and you shall carry my bones from here with you. And then in Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. The very end of the book of Joshua, chapter 24 and verse 32. Now they buried the bones of Joseph, which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt at Shechem, in the piece of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of money. And they became the inheritance of Joseph's sons. God had promised all those years ago that He was going to send His people into this nation and was going to bring them back out. And Joseph believed that God was going to keep that promise. He so believed it that He made His brethren take an oath based upon it. He knew that God keeps His promises. And we need to learn that today. Joseph teaches us that today. God keeps His promises. And we can trust God to do what He has said. 
for good and for bad if we won't serve Him properly. God does what He says. Which, of course, leads us to the fourth lesson that Joseph would teach us if you were with us. God does what He says. You can trust God and wait on Him. I think about the number of times in the Psalms that we find the psalmist telling us to wait on the Lord. Or the psalmist talking about how that he waits on the Lord. Look in Psalm 37. In Psalm 37, we find an example several times in the psalm. He talks about waiting on the Lord. Psalm 37 and verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Verse 9, For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Wait, he says, on the Lord. 34, Wait for the Lord and keep His way, and He will exalt you to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off. You will see it. In this context, the idea of waiting on the Lord is looking at the servant of God who's surrounded by those who are doing evil, who don't serve the Lord. And they seem to be prospering while the one serving the Lord is not. And they say, wait on the Lord. In the end, those who don't serve God are punished and those who serve God are exalted. But you can trust God. He keeps His promises. He will exalt you in His time. So wait on Him. Joseph teaches us that in his life. If you look again at Genesis chapter 37, as the story of Joseph begins in Genesis chapter 37, and verse 2, it says that Joseph, when 17 years of age, all of this begins as Joseph is 17 years of age. But we flip over to chapter 41, and we find Joseph coming before Pharaoh and interpreting the dreams. And in Pharaoh, in Genesis 41-46, Joseph was 30 years old. That's 13 years. 13 years in which Joseph endured mistreatment from his brothers, slavery, and imprisonment. How long he was in each of those situations throughout those 13 years, I don't know. As we just read those stories, it almost seems like it's just kind of a, a bang, bang, bang kind of thing. Just, you know, today he's with his brothers, tomorrow he's in slavery, next week he's in prison, and then a week or two later he's out with Pharaoh. But it's actually 13 years. And then, interestingly enough, when we consider those dreams that God had given him back when he was 17 years old, it's still another seven years before the dreams of his brethren bowing before him take place because it's after the seven years of famine Uh, excuse me, after the seven years of plenty, and then the famine starts, and then his brethren come and ask for food. So we're talking 20 years between the time that Joseph first had those dreams and the time that they were fulfilled. 13 years of misery before he's finally exalted for serving God, and 20 years before those dreams are actually fulfilled. What do we learn from that? We learn that we can trust God. He will do what He says, but He'll do it in His time. And so we've got to wait for Him. I don't know what kind of hardships you're facing. I don't know how long you've been facing them, and I don't know how long you will yet face them. In this life, we face hardship. Paul points out that it's through tribulation that we enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know how long it's going to last, but I can guarantee you this. We wait on God and serve Him and don't become envious of all those around us who are disregarding God and seem to be prospering, God will exalt us. 
we will be blessed. I can't give you a timetable. I can't tell you, oh, just hold on for another couple weeks. I can't tell you, just hold on for another couple years. I don't know what that timetable is. In fact, in all honesty, I can't even tell you that the blessing will occur in this life. But if you continue holding on, I know this because of God's promise. That if there's no blessing for serving God in this life, there is guaranteed a blessing for having served God in this life once we've passed on from this life. And Paul in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What is Paul saying there? But wait on the Lord. Even if we don't have the blessing in this life, the blessing is coming. Ultimately, in the end, God exalts all of His servants. You can trust Him. Wait on Him. Do things His way. And while you're trusting God and while you're waiting on Him, you need to remember to give God the glory. We go back to Genesis chapter 41. In Genesis chapter 41, as Joseph is coming into the presence of Pharaoh, Genesis 41 and verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. What flattery! And how easy it would have been for Joseph to say, well, yeah, you know. But that's not what he did. In verse 16, Joseph then answered Pharaoh saying, It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph said, I'm not the one that can do it. God is the one. If it's going to be done, God will do it. Let's give God the glory. Psalm 115 and verse 1. Psalm 115 and verse 1. The psalmist says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us be the glory but unto you for your name's sake. And that's the attitude we've got to have. It's not about us, it's about God. And the glory is not for us, it's for Him. And we look in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When we do things in order to receive the glory, whatever glory the men give us, that's it. That's all we're going to get out of it. And he goes on in those next few verses to talk about that and some various specifics. But we go back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. And God said, Jesus said, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our responsibility is to serve the Lord, do things His way, so that when people see us, they will turn their attention toward God and not put their attention on us. And that's exactly what Joseph did. He said, I can't do it, but God can do it. Think of Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there were folks in the churches that were setting up Paul and they're saying, I am a Paul and I am of Apollos. And how many teachers really like that idea of having followers? And folks who say that they're their favorite teacher and they'll do whatever they say. But that wasn't Paul's approach. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, he said, what is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. He said, I didn't save you. There's nothing in me to save you. God saved you. God caused the growth. I was simply God's servant. 
I was the one God gave the opportunity to be the one to teach you so that you could be saved. But it was God that saved you. And see, there's that idea of pushing the glory to God. And that's exactly what we need to be doing. And that's exactly what Joseph would teach us if he had time to, to spend with us. He'd tell us you've got to give God the glory. And finally, one more lesson. And another one that happened somewhat subtly there at the end of the narratives in Genesis chapter 50. In Genesis chapter 50, Joseph's brothers were scared. They had become convinced in their own mind that the only reason Joseph had not yet taken vengeance on them for what they had done to him so many years earlier was because they thought Joseph had so much respect for Jacob that he didn't want to grieve his father. But now Jacob had died. And so they thought that Joseph was finally going to take the vengeance upon him. And they came to him and they came up with a scheme and basically they lied to him to try to get him to not punish them. And Joseph, I don't know if he saw through the lie or not, but he... He responded to them in just an amazing way. In verse 18, it says, Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are... This is Genesis 50, verse 18, by the way. Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. For am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. Now, as we read what Joseph does here, we might be tempted to think that the great lesson from Joseph is one of forgiveness or one of kindness. And certainly we can learn some things about forgiveness and kindness, but that, those are actually the byproducts of the real lesson here. His statement there in verse 19 is the real lesson that Joseph would teach us. Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? What Joseph would remind us is that we are not God. And because we are not God, we don't get to do God's things. It is not Joseph's place to take vengeance on his brothers for what they had done. You remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 12? In Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Back up to verse 17. Romans chapter 12 and verse 17 says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved. Believe room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What Paul says there is that God gets to take vengeance and we don't. Joseph understood that concept because when they were afraid that he was going to take vengeance on them, he said, am I in God's place? I'm not God. I don't get to do that. And he understood who he was. Here he was, the second most powerful man in the world. If he wanted to, he could destroy his entire family and nobody would care. But Joseph was able to be kind and he was able to forgive because he understood exactly who he was in the big picture and exactly who he was not. And he was not God. If vengeance was going to be taken on these ten brothers, it was going to be God's responsibility to do it. And Joseph was able to see God's hand behind all of this and said, it worked out the way God wanted. I'm not God. I don't see everything that God's going to do and I don't understand. But he trusted God. He waited on God. And things worked out God's way. 
And he was able to see the great power of God and the great providence and the great mercy and the great grace of God. And so as he looked at his brothers, he was able to forgive and be kind to them. Because he knew his responsibility. Because he knew, I am not God. Perhaps if Joseph had more time with us in 30 minutes, there'd be some other lessons. But I think these are perhaps six of the greatest lessons that we, we can learn from the life of Joseph. And he just had 20, 30 minutes with us. I think he talked to us about these things. He pointed out to us that we can choose how we act and how we react to the things that occur to us. He would tell us one of those choices needs to be flee immorality. No matter how great the temptation, God keeps His promises. So you can trust God and you can wait on Him. And you need to glorify Him while you're doing that. And you need to remember, we are not God. What a great character Joseph was. It's going to take growth on our part to be like Him, but remember, Joseph was a man. Joseph was not a superhuman. He was a man just like us. And we can be what Joseph was. But we have to make the same choices Joseph made. I hope this look at Joseph's life was beneficial to you as we considered some of the lessons he would teach us if he was able to spend just about half an hour with us at some point. Let's remember what we learned in this lesson. Joseph would teach us, one, that we are able to respond to our circumstances. Two, that we must flee immorality. Three, God keeps his promises. Four, we can trust God and wait on him. Five, that we must give God the glory. And six, we've got to remember that we are not God. If you have any questions about Joseph's life or about how we can follow his example or about how we can serve the Lord as his children following the example of Jesus, please give us a call at 615-794-2359 or you may contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. If somebody gave you this lesson or let you borrow it, let me encourage you to go to that website. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there that you're allowed to download, either in audio or outline format. Download those, study them, listen to them, use them in whatever way you believe will glorify God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.